What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I was 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, we're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you after this episode of the King's Falls Podcast. From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends. Narrated by fellow Blue Wire host Brandon Kelly, each Monday two new episodes will take a look into some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that defined their careers. From Holland, Latin, Messi, Rapinoe, and many more each episode will focus in on the historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So stay tuned after the episode and listen to Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends, wherever you get your podcasts. And here's Fox creeping forward. He pulls up, 18-footer. Aaron Fox puts the Kings on top. Makes one stage flight, gives the belly, 35-foot three for the win. Vivania, Bialica. It's we deserve this win, man. When we're done, we can go chop it up, eat it, golf, whatever you want to do. For 40, 48 minutes, I ain't about them games. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Post Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we usually do. What's going on, Rich? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I am reinvigorated. I don't know what happened to me today. Uh, I guess we all just have those days where, like, I was just, like, napping in my desk chair before we started recording this podcast, but you gave me a little intro there, and I felt a sudden burst of life, and uh, I am ready to go today, and uh, we're back on the, back on prospect scouting, and finally we got someone with some experience in here to do this with us. It is Bryant West of the King's Herald. How are you doing, Bryant? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, I'm much like you, Rich. I'm I'm reinvigorated. My last few months have been uh, swamped with a bunch of life stuff and moving and getting married and and finally going to publish my first draft piece in a long time tomorrow. So that's kind of got me right back on the prospect train. Going to watch way too much college basketball and annoy the heck out of my wife. Congratulations, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> it's been a busy time. I'm sure, yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, congrats uh, from myself as well. And, yeah, on the last pod, we touched on one of your favorite guys, and I've been outed for not mentioning that it was apparently Kevin's guy before <laughs> before you. Um, and at the end of that episode covering Jalen Smith and Pokusevsky, we also we mentioned that we were going to be touching on uh, Isaiah Stewart, and we said Xavier Tillman on this episode, but like you said, you have a draft piece coming out recently, and that's on Jaden McDaniels. Sorry if I'm dropping any bombs here. We're going to get to him, and Josh Green as well. Um, but first, I wanted to get your thoughts on our breakdown of Jalen Smith, since you're a big advocate of him. So. Yeah, I definitely think Kevin is higher on Jalen Smith than I am, so uh, he should get full credit for that part. Um, I think you guys handled Jalen Smith very well. I definitely agree that uh, his his defensive flexibility is the biggest concern uh, moving forward for him and probably one that keeps him from the 
top 20s uh, on most people's boards. He's going to be in that area for me when I update my board next. Um, I'm just of the opinion that he is such a he's a he's a guarantee on one end. I'm really confident in his ability to shoot, um, and I think uh, his feel for the game is a bit underrated. So I think moving forward, if he really can get with the right uh, development team and, uh, and strength and conditioning coach can help improve his flexibility, I think he's going to end up being in a, a very solid defensive player. Um, I'm not sure that he'll ever be, you know, that type of playoff center that every team is looking for. Uh, but I think he can definitely take a step forward, and I think uh, he's got the defensive IQ to really complement uh, his game if he can become a little bit more flexible and movable on the perimeter. So I'm definitely going to end up being higher on him than uh, it sounds like you guys uh, and most draft experts. Um, but I think you guys handled that very well. Yeah, I think we're reasonably high on him or, or like, yeah, I mean, reasonably high on him. I think I'm higher on him than most mock drafts have him or big boards have him, but, yeah, not not Kevin Fippen high, I guess. Um, the other guy we talked about was Pokusevsky, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon, but I think we both came down on the Jalen Smith side of things. Um, would you agree? Would you rather if, and not just the Kings, I guess, but Kings Kings first, and then in general, do you think that Smith is the better option? You know, it depends on team construct, really. Um, I think if you're a team that can take a real shot in the dark home run kind of swing and you really trust your development staff, I can see why a team would select Poku. Um, I think you guys handled him very well. He's definitely the most complicated player in this process, I think. Um, but for Sacramento, no, I don't. Uh, Jalen Smith is my pick for Sacramento, and it's not even close. I don't think that the Sacramento front office is really honestly going to look that hard at Poku just because he is not going to be a player who can uh, produce in his first year in the NBA. He might take a couple of years, and he's such a risky pick. I mean, every single point you got to make about, well, he's skilled, he's got a good shot, he can dribble extremely well for a seven-footer. Every single compliment you can make about him just needs to have the biggest, fattest asterisk in the world that none of this matters if he can't seriously bulk up, add strength, and if he's not in the um, mental state to handle NBA physicality, which I'm really not sure he's going to be. So uh, I, I prepared myself for him only as some sort of defensive mechanism in case the Kings do take him, but I truly don't think he'll be that high on the Kings draft board. Yeah, I really hope so. I mean, I've said it a bunch of times. I'm going for a high floor guy is kind of what I'm leaning towards. And uh, that also goes against one of the guys we're going to talk about today. We mentioned uh, Jaden McDaniels. I guess we can start with him here. Uh, freshman at Washington this season, six foot ten height. I didn't have a wingspan. Did either of you happen to see a wingspan for Jaden McDaniels? Yeah, it's listed at about 6'11". Okay. Wouldn't yeah. surprise me if it's a little longer than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a lengthy guy and also skinny as well. We mentioned Poku being pretty thin, as well as Jalen Smith on the last one. Jaden McDaniels, six foot ten, uh, only two hundred pounds, and he played thirty-one games at Washington this season with 
31 minutes per game there, 13 points, 5.8 rebounds, 2.1 assists on shooting splits of 40 from the field, 33% from three, and 76% from the field. And, uh, you know, I'll highlight the 3.2 turnovers a game, too, while we're at it. Uh, what side of the ball do you want to start on for Jaden McDaniels, Rich? Um, yeah, I mean, I think you can also highlight the 3.3 fouls a game. I, I'm going to defer to to Bryant here because I know that he has recently written um, a big, long post about him. Um, I, want, I want him to get first crack at McDaniels. Yeah. Oh, thanks, guys. This is excellent timing because uh, my piece on uh, the curious draft case for Jaden McDaniels uh, will be going live tomorrow on the uh, Kings Herald. Um, he's definitely a complex player to talk about. Um, he started the year as kind of this top ten consensus guy, um, and, and as any player does, he got way too much hyperbole. In terms of comparisons, he's still getting comparisons to Kevin Durant, which is the most insulting thing you could possibly say to Kevin Durant. Uh, the only thing they share really is that they're both stickly guys. Um, I think Jaden McDaniel's uh, offensive ability was definitely a little overhyped coming into Washington. Um, the allure with him, and I think why there's going to still be fans of his out there, is that he is a visually appealing uh, stop-and-pop guy. Uh, he's definitely got the ability to rise up above any collegiate player and, and shoot a uncontested shot uh, just because, you know, 6'10", 6'11", wingspan, and uh, excellent quickness when he pulls up is going to be alluring when the most uh, sought-after ability in the NBA is the ability to shoot over guys. Um, but I think his shooting ability has definitely been overhyped. Um, he's, uh, he, he shot only 40% from the field, uh, 34% from deep, and a 51.5% true shooting percentage. Just not the efficiency you look for at all in a guy who really needs to be a, uh, a high volume shooter in order to justify taking him in the lottery or really giving him playing time. Um, as I note in my piece, among all the wings and forwards that you guys have talked about and uh, being considered in the late lottery first round range, uh, Devin Vassell, Aaron Lee Smith, City Bay, Josh Green, Patrick Williams, he's got the second highest usage rate of all of those players, but he's last in true shooting percentage. So I don't think that his um, – real skill ability has caught up with the uh, full consensus on, on for many fans. Uh, it certainly has for draft Twitter and certainly has for, you know, experts. Uh, both ESPN and Sam Bassini had him in their top five at some point this year, I think, and now they've ESPN has him 22nd on their board and Bassini's just tanked into 41. So, uh, I, I, I think he's definitely a risky player if you're going to be taking it and hoping that he can be a high-volume producer on the offensive end. Yeah, I also saw Yeah, the, the KD comparisons are upsetting. Um, for reference, in college, KD uh, was averaging 26 and 11 uh, at, at Texas. And, he's half uh, a KD. <laughs> yeah, he's one half. 
one half of KD. Um, That's a good yeah. way, good, good way to put it. I saw another um, comparison. So that on the Ringers big board, uh, they kind of have like player comps, and one listed for Jaden McDaniels is Nemanja Bjelica, which upset me greatly. What? <laughs> Not even like close physically. And, and forget the shooting there. I, I, I don't get that one at all. Because ESPN's not the only major outlet to not watch the Kings. That's what's going on here. Yeah, I, I mean, it's <laughs> like, in its, like, most base concept is, like, okay, stretch four. Who's a stretch four? The mm, Elitza? But, like, yeah, like, the, that's the problem. Like, the the stretch isn't working out very well. Um you know, but there is some potential there, I guess. Like that—that's what you're building your case on. If you're high on Jaden McDaniels, is like the shot will come around, um, and so you know we're gonna believe in that and buy in on that. But yeah, Vicini, as you mentioned um, in one of his more recent articles, is basically like this guy should absolutely not go in the first round, but someone is going to take him. That's yeah. almost certainly how it's gonna play out. Um, Brendan, what? How do you feel about that? Like, as far as this guy's tools and potential, can you understand a team just taking that flyer on him in the first round? Yeah, I mean, I think I can. Um, obviously, I've heard a bunch that this is a weaker draft, but not having done previous drafts as in depth as we've done this one, it's kind of hard for me to have that comparison. Um, but I mean, I do see the upside and. There's a nice defensive potential to him as well if he is engaged. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think that being able to shot create for yourself off the dribble, and I wasn't amazingly impressed by his creation of space, but when you're 6'10 and you have a nice release look like that, I mean, that's kind of enough space for you uh, a good amount of times as is. So I see the potential, and I think there's a point that you reach when you do kind of look at these Pokus or J.D. McDaniels, the guys that – really, if they do pan out, could be, uh, I don't know, I said Poku, Poku could be the third best guy on a team, and maybe Jane McDaniels is, like Brian mentioned, he could be a starter at some point. Um, I think that he has those tools. And I think I've heard, um, I, I don't know how to point out what I've heard as character concerns, because obviously we haven't really talked to the guy um, one-on-one or anything like that, and, or any sort of case. But you definitely see, like, effort issues and flashes of, like, emotion in his body language. He had six technical fouls on the year. Um, Washington benched him for the last ten games, and I think that could be adding to a lot of the skepticism. Um, And one of the guys that I did think of, though, was, like, a Kevin Porter Jr., who fell all the way to 30th because of somewhat similar concerns, from my understanding, and then, I mean, the potential just kind of still shines through. So I do think that, I mean, late first round, I, I still think Jaden McDaniels is worth the pick, even though there is a lot of questions because, I mean, at some point you kind of bank on upside and maybe you, you get lucky there. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with the end of the first round is probably the best place for him because uh, I, I put this in my piece. I think if he ends up in with the team in the mid-20s, like uh, – Miami, Utah, Boston, some team that has concrete, proven track record developing players and optimizing them. I think that he could be really optimized to a solid degree 
if he is utilized more as an off-ball scorer. Um, the concerns I have offensively go beyond his shooting ability because I, as a catch-and-shoot player, he was really efficient. That just wasn't how he wanted to play the game. His favorite thing to do is to get the ball and drive into the paint like he's a 6'3 lightning quick guard when he's really just – he's so lanky and he doesn't have the strength to move guys out of the way. And as soon as he started going downhill, defenders just knew it was time just to get in his way and disrupt the ball. Um, some of his worst clips really were just him running into these walls and losing the ball. He just doesn't know what to do when he encounters uh, defenders around the rim, and he shot pretty poorly at the rim, just 55%, which emphasizes both his lack of touch in the paint and his inability to deal with physicality when his skinny frame meets contact. So I, I truly think that some smart team is going to take him at the end of the first round and say, hey, really, just start moving without the ball. Get open, become a stretch for who doesn't need the ball in his hands, become a cutter, and, hey, we'll work on your dribbling ability. Uh, we'll work on helping you find ways to create when the ball gets into your hands. It'll just come later. So, really, I hope that he ends up on a smart team that figures out a real optimization path for him. But if he ends up going in the lottery, and I'm truly afraid that he will be, uh, I think the expectations that come with being a lottery pick are just going to be too high. And he's, he's just going to be a player that really needs to be optimized in a way that I don't think a team without that proven track record is going to be able to do. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Heat. They were the team that came to mind for me as well especially with their ability to develop players physically. Um, I think he needs a lot of work in that area. He's going to need to add a lot of strength. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know. If, if you are a questionable decision maker, I'm not sure that's something you can really change in a player. If it's a, if you have a fundamental poor understanding of your own abilities and your need to defer at times, that's something that I think is, is hard to change. Yeah. Um, especially when you've been like a super highly touted prospect for, you know, your entire young life. Um, that's something that I'm going to worry about him. Like, because the theory of him doesn't make sense if that doesn't change. Yeah. You know, if he can't pass the ball, if he can't make the right decision at the right time, the theory of him would be like ISO scorer and I, I do not want to see any offense ever ran on McDaniels as an ISO scorer. Yeah, Lord, no. I agree with his uh, decision-making being his biggest flaw. Like you mentioned earlier, he led the Pac-12 in both turnovers and fouls, and he was second in the country in, in uh, technical fouls. Um, I, I think I don't ever want to pretend like a 19-year-old is a finished product. And with the right staff, I think any player can become a lot more aware of the right things to do on the court. Um, but it, it just takes such a – it takes the right team trusting the player and working with him in more ways than uh, one. So it just is going to take the right team, and I really hope that's not Sacramento because the Kings just have enough complex offensive fits as is. 
Yeah, I'm definitely in the same boat there. And, I mean, part of the issue with his offense to me is that I don't see much playmaking from him as well. Like, yeah, this off-the-dribble creating, like I mentioned, might be one of the most valuable skills. But, like, yeah, there's no creation to fall back on um, even when, say, the shot did get going. Like we mentioned, I mean, more turnovers than assists on the year. Um, And, yeah, I mean, that's just a major flaw in his offensive game for a guy that, is, you know, like you said, I mean, touted as what he was like, seventh-ranked high school guy coming in. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that being a flaw in in his game as well definitely makes me hesitant on giving him, like you're saying, this high usage. Um, but with you on here, I kind of wanted to ask some of the philosophy things from, like, years of doing this. Like, how do you usually gauge a guy that, like you said, was a high-usage guy in college because he's a, one of the best guys on his team, and then if you try to make him a low-usage at the next level, how, how do you kind of gauge on if that would be success? Is it kind of just a shot in the dark? It really just ends up being the team and uh, what they need from a player and how much they expect him to immediately contribute Um I think back to Marvin Bagley a couple of years ago. I wrote many, many times that I really wanted the Kings to simplify his offensive role, use him a lot more in the pick and roll and as a cutter, uh, and just utilize his innate uh, strengths as a player, which was he's just quicker than 95% of big men. Um, but when you select a guy that high, you can't really then say, all right, we're going to simplify you, and here's our idea of what exactly what you're going to be as a player. and Hope you're okay with that. Um, so it really does depend. Like if McDaniels goes to somewhere like Toronto and he's one of 12 guys and there's, you know, a whole bunch of other youngsters who play the same kind of role, that I mean, the same positions as he does, and he knows, all right, I got to do X, X, and X to earn playing time, uh, and he's with a smart coach, I think he really can be optimized. but. It, it, the teams at the top of the lottery are never or are rarely ones that have that set system in place. And it's a lot harder for them to justify to a guy who they just took really high, hey, this is what we need out of you. You're going to do this. It's a lot harder to do that when you're a bad team. So. I think in that sense, the lottery is kind of a trap for bad teams because uh, you need talent, but you also need talent to understand, all right, this is a new league, uh, and pretty much everybody who comes into the NBA is going to have to change how they wanted to play in college or how they were playing in college in order to play in a bigger, faster, more physical league. league. And it's just easier for some players and harder for some players. And given how difficult it was for McDaniels. Like you said, he came off the bench his last 10 games. I'm not convinced that that's going to be an easy process if he goes in the lottery. Yeah, I love what you said there about taking a player that's been doing too much and trying to simplify their role and about how much of a challenge that can be. Um, Brendan and I have both talked about how, you know, concerns about Marvin Bagley being able to ever become a successful role player because he just has not ever flexed that muscle of being a role player. Like he's been a star. Um, And if you, 
if you can't figure it out as a star, number two pick, and it doesn't work out for you and you're asked to do something less, that can be really difficult on your mentality, on, on like your conception of yourself, your ego. Um, that might be a lot easier if you're going late 20s or even early second round for someone like McDaniels, but even then they can be kind of rough to be like, all right, look, you're going to, you're going to need to be a role player for, for at least for a little while. Um, and I think, frankly, like a guy like McDaniels could potentially be eaten up by, you know, if he ends up in the G League or he ends up, um, you know, fighting for a spot on a big league team, he might be, able, you know, he might be eaten up by guys that are uh, just hard workers that never had that prestige. You see, yeah. you know, you mentioned the Raptors. If he got in a in a room in a, a squad with your Pascal Siakams, your Terrence Davises, who are working harder without that sort of expectation, um, and are just hungry, hungry to to prove themselves any way they can, I would be a little bit concerned about how he'd fare against that type of player. Yeah, I think just to go back to the original point, that it, with players when they come into the league, if they're drafted too high for their own good. That's why the concept of the second draft is a thing um, because so often these players come in and, and they don't end up fitting with a team for one reason or another. And so many young guys end up going to another team and they're both, both they're humbled and uh, oftentimes they end up getting to sign with a team that's a better fit for them regardless. So if Jaden McDaniels goes in the top, you know, in the lottery, uh, and, and some team tries to give him a creator role, it's just not going to work. And in four years, some smart team is going to come call him and say, hey, we really think you could be a, a, a solid uh, off-ball shooter and uh, and we'll work, help you work on your dribbling and stuff. Uh, I think that could be the turnaround point for him. But for his sake, I, I hope he goes somewhere that's um, – you know, I kind of hope he goes to a team that has those kind of Pascal Siakam, uh, Terrence Davis kind of guys that keep him in the gym, keep him humble. Uh, and don't, you know, there, there was a certain humbling aspect to being told, hey, I know you were a top seven recruit, but you're coming off the bench at Washington. And he kind of responded to that a little bit. Some of his best games of the year were the last couple of ones. Um, so I, I think if there's... Uh, optimism for his approach to the game, it's in that. Um, I, I hope he goes to a team, and I hope he's ready to learn and, and develop. Uh, I just see that a lot less likely to happen if it's a team like Sacramento, to be honest. Yeah, but what if we were talking the 35th pick, where Sacramento has Detroit's oh, second? Absolutely. Right. At, at that point, at that point, you, you just... Right. The, I don't think the, he's there, but the at that point. shooter. Right. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe he would be there, but um, it's certainly where a lot of uh, uh, draft experts think he should go. But <laughs> some team's going to view him as a falling knife and think, wow, a, a guy who was seventh ranked a year ago is now sitting right in front of me? Heck yeah. Let's do this. Right. Yeah. I, like I said, I don't think he goes there either. Um I'm curious what you think I'll throw it to you first, Rich, of Jalen McDaniels compared to Poku because these are both guys that are really viewed as fours, right, with high ceilings – I mean, sorry, low ceilings and really high floors. So 
What do you think between the two, Rich? And uh, just thinking of this now, I mean, do you think last time we said Poku's the lowest floor that we've gone over is Jaden lower? Uh, I'm really glad you brought up Poku. You brought him up earlier in comparison, and I see a lot of the same stuff. Um, obviously, you get some an easier field of competition to compare him against, um, being in the NCAA, being in the Pac-12, but there are a shocking number of similarities, and it is just this concept of like, oh, well, he's just so big. Like, if a player that was smaller with this skill set, they wouldn't blow you away, but like, oh my god, Poku can do this and he's seven feet tall. Yeah. I still question, like, the fundamentals of, of him playing that position, though. Like, there's questions about his strength, his size, his ability to get to the rim. Um, and in terms of floor, I see it very similarly. Um, I think that there's a possibility that both Pokusevsky and McDaniels could just be out of the league real quick. Um, I, I basically think neither of them have a significant floor at all to speak of. Um, but in terms of McDaniels, I think – so I've been doing some, like, trying to trying to predict not only ceiling and floor, but also median outcome, average outcome, most common outcome for these players. And I think McDaniels has the lowest, most common outcome of any player we've talked about. Like, I think that if you played out his career a hundred times, like – the majority of those times he ends up as, like, a G League caliber, two-way caliber player. That seems fair to me. Um, I'm sure that with the right training staff, uh, that might uh, be a higher number, but um, there's 30 teams for a reason, and and very few of them are uh, ever ready for real project players. A lot less of them are than they think they are, so... Right, yeah, you mentioned uh, Toronto, Miami. I thought I thought of Milwaukee as well, like if they were actually oh, going to yeah. have their own first um, that they're working with. They do have uh, Indiana, so I don't know. But, yeah, um, something along those lines, you know, I definitely see where you're coming from there. And if you're good with it, I think we can move on to Josh Green of Arizona here, definitely on the opposite end um, where a guy that really seems like he knows his role. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. To, uh, to, his, own de- to his own detriment, honestly. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. If you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. If you're looking for something else other than sports, BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out as well. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Yeah, okay, so for the basics of him, I have six foot five with a 6'10 wingspan, 210 pounds. He played 30 games uh, at University of Arizona where he averaged... 12 points, 4.6 rebounds, 2.6 assists, along with 1.5 steals, and we'll throw in 1.6 turnovers as well on 42% from the field, 36% from three, and 78% from the free throw line. Uh, 
physically, just physically, a very similar build to Danny Green. Uh, 6'6 for Danny Green, 6'10 wingspan, 215 pounds. So kind of for a little bit of a mental comparison for some of the listeners there. Um, where do you want to start with on Josh Green? I know uh, this is our type of guy, Brian. Yeah, it definitely is. Dirty secret about my evaluation preferences is I find myself drawn to these high-end role players as long as they play insanely motivated on defense and flash at least a little bit on offense. Um, that's what I loved about uh, Mikael Bridges, and that's what I love about Josh Green. Um, he's definitely the, – the the reason that you draft him is because he is, in my opinion, the most motivated defender in this class. Um he guarded one through four at will. He was one of the more disruptive defenders in the class. Uh, excellent to keeping his feet moving, never gives up on a play. Um, he's certainly a little shorter than you'd like for a wing forward at the next level, but he definitely has the frame, I think, to bulk up uh, and become a versatile multi-positional player. And that 6-10 wingspan is definitely going to help him. Um, his stance is excellent. His flexibility is excellent. He stayed in front of most of his assignments. And even when he did get beat, he always had a shot to recover just because he was NBA quick and had his 6-10 wingspan. So um, he's definitely that kind of player that you and I like. And uh, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn saying that uh, he's not the kind of player that Rich favors. Yeah, I I have questions about uh, I have legit questions about Josh Green. Um, a lot of them focus around his shot because I, I definitely – I get it, you know, like very motivated defender, quality defender, got the tools. Um, I can totally buy him being an effective defender at the next level. But if the shot doesn't fall, that what good does that really do you? Um, you know, I know that in, in the Vicini article I mentioned earlier, he also talked about uh, Green, and, you know, he mentioned that, you know, he, he mocked them to the Thunder. And he's just like, well, this is kind of a Thunder guy, uh, you know, good quality wing defender that, that can't shoot. And he has serious questions. You know, he put, out, he put four serious questions about Green's form. Um, you know, it can improve, but, like, we're talking about a guy who made 36% on less than three attempts a game with Arizona and in a shortened season on a, a well, yeah, on a small, on, on a relatively small sample size here, um, you know, 83 total attempts. If he missed, just say there's an unlucky bounce on two of those shots. You know, we're talking about, 32, 33%, and I don't think that there is as much excitement around this guy as, as we have right now. Yeah, I, I, I think if you just look at his shooting numbers, um, Brendan said him earlier, 36% from deep and 78% from the line. That sounds all right. It sounds pretty good. Um, but I think the problem with his shot is twofold. Um, one, like we kind of touched on earlier, um, he, he, he doesn't take enough shots. He He's definitely not wired to be a volume. There were so many times, especially open shots, uh, he just his preference is either to drive or to reset the offense and keep the ball moving, even though he's excellent at getting to open spots and helping Arizona um, keep 
their spacing. He, he moves excellently. He, he's got the, a lot of the tools to be a fantastic 3D player. Um, but like you said, his shooting mechanics are spectacular, uh, especially his knees. There's just some really painful angles on some of his threes that just show like he ends up buckling his knees together and it looks really painful. Um, and, and from time to time, he just lames too much, even on set open shots. Uh, and, and when you dive deep into the percentages, they're not great. Um, he shot 40% on catch and shoot shots in the half court, which is 85th percentile, which is pretty damn good. Uh, but it's fair to note that a majority of those were unguarded shots. Um, if the goal, like we talked about with Jaden McDaniels earlier, is to find those kind of guys who can score off the dribble, uh, he's not your guy. He shot 21% on shots off the dribble percentage. Uh, for a guy who can move as well as he does, that's really bad. Um, and unfortunately, his, his shooting mechanics aren't even the worst part of his offensive game, honestly. He was a whopping eighth percentile on shots around the basket in the half court. And that's mainly because he massively favors his right hand on offense, which means he's the anti-Marvin Bagley. Um, he, ma- he makes so many easy shots more complicated due to an innate tendency to switch back to his right. Uh, and we all know how hard it can be for young players to undo that mental block. So unfortunately for how innate and um, high IQ a defender he is, that IQ and feel just does not oftentimes translate into his own offensive ability. Uh, which isn't great and is definitely why I think a lot of uh, smart experts like Rossini have him lower than I'm going to. Um, but, I don't know, in, 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 the concept, in the construct of Sacramento, he definitely seems to me like a guy that the Kings really could use, uh, which is why he's going to be in my top 20. <laughs> so, Yeah, I mean, I want to get to the defense. Obviously, that's the best part of Josh Green, but... I guess what I kind of bank on with the offense is just you mentioned the big amount of unguarded catch-and-shoot shots, but percentage, I mean, he's in the 94th percentile of those shots, 75.6 adjusted field goal percentage. Um, Like Rich mentioned, I mean, most things you're working with in college is a somewhat small sample size. That was only 41 attempts, but I think that as long as guys can't leave you wide open, that you at least supply a little bit of spacing that I think that the defense, like that could make you a passable offensive player to me where you're just not a complete liability out there. Um, Again, I mean, yeah, this is a guy that you're bringing in as a 3 and D role player. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I could talk myself into him being a passable offensive player. And I realize it's just one skill. And if that doesn't work, that he's a negative on offense. Um, So I get the concern there, but that's how I could talk myself into him. Uh, comfortably, I feel like I think he, there's he one. Play that. I think there's one underrated part of his game on offense, and it's his passing. Um, his assist numbers aren't crazy; uh, only 3.4 assists per 40 and a 16% assist rate. That's fine, but I swear his assist numbers would be doubled if his teammates expected half the passes he throws at them. Um, he's he really loves throwing these. Um, Jay Will kind of fancy passes. He puts so much extra fire on his passes. He tries wraparounds behind the backs at moments notice, even when they're not needed. And half the time his teammates are just not expecting passes whatsoever. 
Um, so I, I really think that uh, at the next level, as long as he can become at least an average shooter, that's really going to unlock kind of this tertiary um, passer ability, uh, which he really needs because, like you said, any skill on offense is going to really benefit him when he's not a great finisher at the rim. Um, but I have no doubt he'll become a fan favorite because he could just throw some incredible dimes that just blow my socks off. And I'm just sitting there thinking, dude, where's this fire when you've got an open three? If you're going to throw a behind-the-back pass and you're that confident in it, why aren't you that confident just to rise up when nobody's three feet in front of you? Support for the King's Pulse podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over the technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Listen, we all have a time where we have hurt ourselves or at least been terrified to hurt ourselves. I know I do. Trimming below the waist. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team has spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0. This is a premium tool with a battery that lasts up to 90 minutes, works in the shower so you can take care of your business in there if you prefer that. Also has an extremely cool LED light attached to it that illuminates the grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that chunk of yours. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code KINGSPULSE at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code KINGSPULSE. No space. KINGSPULSE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code KINGSPULSE with no space. Yeah, the passing to me is a little bit worrisome too. Honestly, it just in far as as far as that sort of style over substance concept, um, I you know I, I guess it is hard to like nail a guy right in the hands or put it in his chest when uh, you're going behind the back and yeah. all that stuff. But I just saw a lot of a lot a lot of passes that weren't delivered uh, really in the strike zone and ends up. Um, putting his teammates in kind of an awkward position. Maybe that's on them, like you're, you're suggesting that maybe they need to be anticipating what he can do a little more. Um, but I think there's downside there too. Like it could turn out that like none of that flashy stuff really works out well in the NBA against a much higher level of defender. And then the substance, like the base uh, fundamentals just aren't at a high enough level for it to all click. So I, I definitely like as far as, ceiling on this guy I get it like I get it his shot could be very solid his passing could be uh, a minor plus and his defense could be you know borderline great Uh, borderline great definitely functional so like put that all together and you've probably got at the very best a, a low level starter but I also think that he has a pretty unsafe floor and that's not really like what yeah, I mean, I think traditionally here you would 
I, I, maybe I'm wrong about this, and, and Brandon, I, I feel like from the, what we've looked at so far, like I think we might categorize him as a fairly safe floor player, but I would disagree just because if a few things don't click, I think the floor falls right out, and, and he becomes like a high-level defender that pretty much can't do anything else. Let me just – just to talk about uh, three-point shots and, and how it can translate and small sample size and all that. I think we would all agree that would, – would you guys say that shooting 37% on threes with seven attempts a game is good in college? Definitely. Yes. Yeah. So sure. this is a guy that I thought of when I was watching Josh Green, and I think this will make you cringe, Bryant, but um, how do you feel about Justin Jackson as a cop? <laughs> um Boy, the allure of Justin Jackson never made sense to me in the first place. Um, I can't get where you're coming with on offense for sure um, because Justin Jackson it, 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 at his highest ceiling was thought of as kind of that seamless low-level fit on offense, a guy who could do a whole bunch of things. Um, so I get I get the offensive comp, but – like like we keep talking about, the allure of him is on defense, which just Justin Jackson never, never was a good defensive prospect. I don't care who who pretended he was enough to get him at top fifteen. He just was not. So I I like I kinda like that comp on, on offense in terms of just like, you know what, if he doesn't hit on if his shot isn't real, uh, if he doesn't really improve his handling, which I think is the key to improving his um, passing as a whole, uh, he could become a you know real solid negative on offense. Um, but I would never ever worry about him on defense like I did Justin Jackson. Yeah, it's interesting to get to your kind of low floor uh, argument with Josh Green. I think that, like Brian's saying, on defense, there's a high floor. But if you're a complete negative on offense, you're not really going to make it in the league. And that's where the issue kind of comes. And like Brian touched on, I think the volume needs to be there. Even if he's shooting 33%, like a medium medium outcome guy I kind of think of is like a Jay Crowder, um, where, you know, Jay Crowder's not really a great three-point shooter. He shot 31 percent from three throughout his career but he did shoot uh, upwards of six of them a game and you know I think that if Josh Green can get comfortable throwing up a good amount of them like I mean I obviously have a soft spot for this guy but like a Marcus Smart situation as well where he's not a great three-point shooter even though the shots come around a little bit he just has high volume um, enough that there is a gravity to him so I, I think that that's kind of the way I see it happen. What do you think of a, a, a Jay Crowder sort of comp? That's a good one. I, I, I like the Jay Crowder comp in terms of impact. Um, it, 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 it really comes down to what do you really want Sacramento to do here? Um, do you want the really safe, sturdy, low ceiling pick? Uh, like I think Rich does with Sadiq Bay. Um, I think there's no chance that Sadiq Bay is out of the league in five years. 
Um, and I don't also think that there's any chance that he's really a, uh, uh, high end starter. Um, I also don't know that I'd say that Josh Green is a high end starter, but I definitely think that his ceiling is probably a little higher to me than uh, Sadiq Bay. Um, so if, I don't know. It comes down to me. I, I what I think Sacramento needs most is defense from the wing. I don't know. And sorry. Yeah, and 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 that's kind of why I think uh, Josh Green's going to end up in comfortably in my top twenty. Because um, I can just if Sacramento. I, I don't know if twelve or thirteen is really a justifiable place for Josh Green, but I also don't really know that twelve or thirteen is. Uh, what I'd consider a justifiable place for Sadiq Bay either. So it's yeah. a it's a complicated place if you love wings and you want one in Sacramento. Yeah, and one other thing I want to throw in there about his floor on offense is that I mean he's a phenomenal transition player, and the Kings oh yes can definitely run the floor. Um, so I mean worst case that's something that could fall through and work out with Josh Green. Well, they yeah. they they can run the floor. <laughs> <laughs> they want to apparently. They better run the floor. They're gonna be. They're gonna win three games in Orlando, and this is gonna all fall apart. Yeah, I. You know, I, I also will just throw out there for just sake of discussing floor. Uh, I think he's had multiple surgeries on his shoulder, or looks like one yes. on his right shoulder. One, yeah, labrum. So. I don't know how big of a concern that is. I tr- like truly, I'm out of my depth when we start talking about, um, you know, medical issues or whatever. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, and I also just I, I pulled up that part of Vicini's mock just to read off the list of names. You know, he just mentioned his guys on the current Thunder roster: Darius Baisley, Lou Dort, Terrence Ferguson, Hamidou Diallo. Like, I, yeah, like Terrence Ferguson in particular. Like, how is this guy different from Terrence Ferguson? I feel like that's a really good comp. Um, boy, I was not a Terrence, Terrence Ferguson guy coming out, um, mainly because I don't think Terrence Ferguson really wanted to play defense until he got to the league. Um, but, you know, that's not the worst worst comp in terms of uh, offensive impact because, you know, Terrence Ferguson every once in a while flashes and makes three or four threes in a game and something's like, oh, is this guy figuring it out? I think there's definitely a realm where Josh Green is that kind of player on offense. That's not crazy to me. So if if that's the kind of player you want to stay away from in this draft, in this draft that's already risky enough as is, yeah, I get it. I mean, do you see his defense, at, like the upside of his defense being truly like a, a game-changing, team-changing, franchise-changing level? Like, no, I, I guess that's yeah. I'm just franchise changing, it. franchise franchise changing. No, uh, I think he can be the best wing defender on a playoff team, um, but I don't think he's going to come in here and morph into Tony Allen with a 37 percent three point shot. No. Yeah, so I want to ask you about this defense because I, I was skeptical about like. So, okay, first of all, I think his nail defense, he would come into the Kings and he'd instantly be the best nail defender. When he's one guy away, he just his ability to rip the ball handler going into the paint I think was great. Um, I think that moving his hips and staying in front of guys, I think he could do that one to three in the league um, with a little bit of struggle with some of the strength and 
length on some of the threes. But I'll say that, you know, off ball there were times that he would fall asleep or he'd overhelp. Um, and I don't know how teachable that is out of guys. I, I wouldn't worry about that too much. But, like, getting caught on screens I thought was a really big problem for him. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't sure how much to account for it because there were times that he would get caught, but he would still somehow recover. And there's guys in the NBA that just somehow make it happen. And But I guess banking on that isn't the most safe thing. So what did you put into some of, like, his defensive weaknesses of that help defense and then kind of getting through screens? Yeah, I'm always going to be drawn to the high-motor defenders, and um, it, so it's hard for me to critique uh, over-helping. Uh, especially when help defense and team defense is something the Kings desperately need. Um, but I think that's definitely fair, especially when he makes the transition to the NBA and he's not the fastest guy on the court anymore and his 6'10 wingspan isn't spectacular anymore. And he's definitely going to need to add a, a you know 20 pounds of muscle if he's going to become the 2, 3, 4 rangy defender that I hope he can be. Um, so I get the concern of him sticking on screens, uh, but that's it, just kind of how Arizona ran. Uh, aside from Nico Mannion, they try to always put out as many great defenders as they can. Um, so I, I, I don't know that that is a weakness I'm overly terrified about, um, but on a team that doesn't have um, the right kind of switch recovery defenders to begin with, I can see why that would be a concern. And that's another good point, too, as far as team defense. Like, sometimes good team defenders get lost on teams that have bad defenses. Like, if you if you don't have the other pieces there, I don't see him as being such a dominant one-on-one defender that he's going to change the culture necessarily where – you know, maybe you can make that argument for um, in a Coro or even even a yeah. Maxi at the point of attack, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, and I don't see him necessarily having like you mentioned Sadiq Bay, and and I think that Brandon is actually a little bit higher on Bay than I am. Um, Bay is like just hovering like outside the lottery for me, uh, but I think what's great about Bay is like. He may not. He, you know, I don't think he has the defensive upside of, of Green even. But like, he has a defensive set of tools that I like a lot. But he also has this, this knockdown, undeniable shooting skill that activates it. Where, you know, ultimately you need some sort of offensive skill to hang your hat on to make it in the league. I do still think this is an offensive league. Uh, offense is going to matter a little bit more than defense in the long run yeah. for 90% of players. Um, so I, I like that, you know, I feel like Bay can stick on the court, stay on the court because of shooting alone. And, yeah, he has other skills as well. But, like, once you know that, okay, he can work in an offense, he has a role in an offense, now I can get excited about the defense as well. Yeah. Despite everything I said, I probably am going to have Sadiq Bay over uh, Josh Green. Um, but I, I definitely think that none of none of my Josh Green optimism sticks around if he doesn't become at least a middling average shooter. It's just plain and simple. He won't be uh, a solid starter at all. Um, so I get that concern, and especially, like I said, 
this might not be the class to take risks on. So I can definitely see why of the wings, um, Sadiq Bay would make more sense. Uh, Aaron Neesmith might be more of a conversation for me. Um, he will definitely never be the offensive threat Neesmith is, but uh, of all of the wing defenders that we've talked about, I definitely think he's going to become the best defender out of the group. So it really comes down to team construct, as we've said for the last 10 minutes. Uh, is that worth it for Sacramento at 12? Probably not. Uh, but he also seems like a guy that the Kings could really sell themselves on if uh, he hops on a Zoom meeting with Vladi and professes how much he loves Sacramento. Yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to it, and it just depends kind of where we're talking because if it's 13, 12, 13, I'm not a fan. Like, I'm taking one of Bay and probably Neesmith. I like Patrick Williams, so I've been getting higher on as well there. Um, I, I don't know how great I feel about Josh Green there. Like, that's where – but, yeah. if you know, if we're talking this Detroit pick in the second round, which I don't quite think he'll be there, but I don't think it's crazy necessarily to think that he somehow makes it to 35. Um, we mentioned, like, Jalen Smith is a guy you'd be willing to, you know, say package 35 and 43 to move up to, like, 27, I mean, is that oh, yeah. is Josh Green a guy that you would trade a couple seconds to move into the first round to try to snag? Yeah, for sure. I would I would do the same thing for him as I did for uh, Jalen Smith. Um, you guys talked about this on the previous podcast, and I, I love the idea of just trade all the seconds for a first if some team is willing to do that. Um, I don't know how likely that is, and I don't know how healthy it is for Kings fans to try to convince ourselves of this every year. Because uh, we sure tried it last year. Yeah, because sure we always remember. have a million second round picks. Yeah, I sure remember on draft day. Come on, Kings, just trade all your seconds and get up and get Brian Clark. Come on, do it, do it, do it. And of course, it just never happens. We'll just trade them away for cash. Yeah. We'll just let the Grizzlies uh, do that because they're making all the right moves. Yeah, uh, I'll just wait till the Grizzlies draft Josh Green and and. Uh, and just fully moved to Memphis at that point. Seriously. Um, so let me throw a couple of names at you. Just just the guys on on our collective board that are the lowest. Um, I think we, we, me and Brennan have a pretty good consensus going. Um, where would you where would you put Green and and McDaniel's? We can kind of combine them here uh, as we're wrapping up. How would you compare them against uh, Poku, RJ Hampton, and Precious? I think that I would have Josh Green over all of those guys. Um, definitely over Poku. Uh, RJ Hampton is arguable. I've never been the biggest RJ Hampton fan, but I'm willing to bet that I'm just too low on him. Um, I already forgot the third name. Who did you say? Poku. And then oh, we'll throw no. Pre- Precious Achua. Oh. oh, yeah, I'm I'm not that high on Precious Achua. I think you guys handled uh, that discussion pretty well. I think uh, I don't think he's as versatile a defender as he thinks he is. Um, and I think the best case for him in the long run is that he fully accepts a role as a uh, defensive-minded uh, five, which, like you guys touched on, those are a lot easier to find than high-wing defenders. So I think uh, I'd have green over him. Um, when talking about uh, Jaden McDaniels, it's more complicated. Um, 
I I I think I might take Boku over Jaden McDaniels, although that's gonna be that's gonna be a close one because they're both just such risky players for Sacramento to take and pretend that they have the development uh, process to really optimize either of those guys. Um, I think I'm going to have Jaden McDaniels lowest on any of the guys that you guys have touched on so far. I definitely don't think he needs to go to Sacramento. I really hope he ends up in Toronto, Boston, Miami, some team that can really just bring him along a lot more slowly than I think a lottery-bound Sacramento would. Yeah. I, I think you teased that at Rich. Jaden was at the bottom of yours as well, right? Yeah, Jaden's definitely about to have been like, we've only done 22 guys, but he is not going to finish 22 on my board. <laughs> like, we're, we're gonna get, he's going to probably dive uh, probably into yeah. the 30s, maybe even into the 40s. But to like answer my own question there, I personally would take this, take I'd take the roll of the dice on the specialness of the offense, like the potential of the offense on Poku and RJ Hampton. I would take the roll of the dice there over. Uh, Josh Green, uh, and then I have Achua uh, pretty well below them, and, and McDaniel's pretty well below him. Yeah, I, I think you guys have kind of touched on this in each one of the um, podcasts you guys have done on this so far, but this class is just such crazy variance across the board that I can't really argue any order of those players. Yeah, every time I look at my board, I'm like, huh, you know, I kind of want to move these guys around. And then I just end up with a bunch of arrows, and I'm confused on what my order is at this point. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I kind of have all these guys in the same tier with Poku and Jaden at the bottom and being really interchangeable. Um, I might lean Jaden just because I feel like there's kind of more self-creation tools in that potential since you're really banking on high-end outcome for both of them. I might like Jaden's better since I feel like he'd be able to guard fours and Poku could still not be great like a tweener on defense um but that's just kind of I don't know I I could feel different between those two tomorrow and then the other order I have is I have RJ Hampton at the top as well and then I have Josh Green um I have Precious Achua I like Precious just because I think that you know if there's a halfway decent shot to him I think that he has to obviously be in a restricted role. I don't think there's any way that he should be playmaking like he was at Memphis. Um, but I think that there is some decent potential upside in a switchable defender from the center position that can also potentially step out and hit a shot when you ask him to. And then I have a Jalen Smith – or, I'm sorry, and then I have Josh Green and then Jalen Smith. Um, so, yeah, I think we're we're all fairly similar with what we're working with here. Um. Yeah, I did. You mention uh, where you kind of have Jalen in between all this, Brian? Yeah, J- my big board is now successfully three months old, and uh, it's totally going to need a whole rescope now that I'm bounced back and getting back into the swing of things. I think Jalen Smith will still end up in my top twenty just because I love stretch centers, and I truly think he's a a couple uh, uh, smart. Uh, conditioning staff members away from being an above-average defender at the center position. Um, but I recognize that I'm probably going to be way too high on Jalen Smith for logic. So Awesome. Yeah, well, I think that covers it for the most part. Um, everyone listening, definitely read Bryant's piece that is coming out, I think, 
today as as this will be released. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, uh, I, you know, I, there's going to be a lot more in-depth coverage there, so uh, make sure you give that a read for the full breakdown on McDaniels. Yeah, Bryant, you know, last thing I'll throw your way, who do you think we should get to next on here? I think you guys have a really good uh, combo of Isaiah Stewart um, and, uh, oh, boy, I've already forgotten Xavier Michigan Tillman. State. Thank you, Xavier Tillman. Uh, Xavier Tillman's another guy I need to go back and rewatch a whole bunch because I know draft Twitter is incredibly high on him and his uh, defense. Uh, and Isaiah Stewart's pretty much the complete opposite. So I think that's going to be a, a real fun one to listen to uh, once you guys watch a bunch of tape from those. Make sure that uh, when you watch anything on uh, Xavier Tillman, you watch uh, those two uh, Maryland games. Though. <laughs> I knew <laughs> this was coming. Yeah, <laughs> definitely message to that. Yeah, make sure to watch those where he beats everybody's draft crush. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think that's going to do it here, Brian. We really appreciate you coming on, taking the time out of your day, man. And thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. Be sure to check out all the great work over there at the King's Herald, uh, kingsherald.com, and support the Patreon to just support some great independent King's coverage there. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review, subscribe, and rate the show. And you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here.